When people can be petty with you and act like that with you, just let them go. Sometimes you got to give them the gift of goodbye. People who really love you, this is just an extra sermon before the sermon. People who really love you will always give you grace and space. Somebody say grace and space. Amen. I mean, you can get mad. You may be upset. But somebody that you really love, you're going to be like, man, I'm going to give you a little bit of grace and I'm going to give you a little bit of space. I'm, I'm going to let you have you know, this mistake in your life until I can help you out with it, you know? Come on, how many do that in marriage? How many do that with your kids? But they don't do that in church. They always just want to give up on the church, get mad at the pastor saying this or that. I remember one time I was... um, I was saying a joke or something, and somebody got offended on, a, on behalf of the person who didn't get offended. You know, sometimes, like, I'll tease, you know, different people in the church, and someone that, it wasn't about them. The, the one that I teased was like, oh, man, pastor loves me. Ha, <laughs> ha, that was funny. I get it, you know. But they wanted to take up the offense for the other person, like, oh, you shouldn't say that. You, I can't believe you said that. And they wanted to almost, like, gas up that person and now be mad at me. No, Karen, that's your own problem. That's your issue. And how many know Karen's come in all types of different cultures, shapes, and sizes, male and female? Okay, it was, it, it, here's another story behind the story. I was out preaching yesterday with Joe B., or, or two days ago, Friday, at the abortion clinic, and uh, this white woman, my people, somebody say his people, my people thought she could just tell me off and do everything. And then an African-American woman drove by, stopped the car, and was like, were you getting Karen by her? And I'm like, absolutely I was. They don't respect me as their own people anyway. So white Karens can act crazy on anybody. So all my people of color here understand they go crazy on me too, okay? So she was going crazy. And then I said, I call them the white yoga pant wearing Karen cult because they come out there while we're preaching in their yoga pants and then they yell. And what's crazy about it is people of color are coming to murder their baby. So it's like, keep murdering your baby, people of color, because I'm a white Karen and I love pro-choice. While we're out there trying to adopt their babies, their black babies, their Latino babies. Anybody listening to me? I'm like, how in the world do you think this is rational? But you see, the fool can't make sense of the folly. Can I hear an amen? The fool can't make sense of the folly. We adopt your, we're adopting children of another culture, and yet you're telling me we're the racists, we're the bigots. We're, it, it just doesn't even make any sense. So anyways, you just got to love people. You got to give them grace and space. So I started talking to that African-American woman, and I gave her the information, and that was like a connection point, you know? And so my brothers and sisters, give people grace and space in your life. Let them make those mistakes if they need to. And then here's the thing. The gift of goodbye is when someone doesn't want to make it right. Let's go back even to the abortion situation. That woman who yelled at me, who cussed me out, if she comes back, I want to make it right with her. Hey, do you want to have a rational conversation right now? But if she doesn't want to have a rational conversation, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give her the gift of goodbye. If people in your life are petty, if people don't like you, give them a gift of, gift of goodbye. And then listen, brothers and sisters, sometimes you work with these people. Sometimes they're in your family. You might be married to one, okay? Here's how you give people the gift of goodbye that you're still in close proximity with, but you can't leave their life immediately. Just cut them off in your heart emotionally from touching your buttons. I feel like God gives me a special grace once somebody does me like that, and I feel the Lord says, it's okay to walk away. I just guard my heart. Now, some of you don't have it as good as I do because I guess I can be a loner. Some people are like, man, this is my mom. This is my so-and-so. I'm not, so I'm not going to say it's easy for you, but I have noticed that the Lord has put me in a bubble, and those little buttons that they used to push, they cannot push. So, for example, I have, well, I don't want to get into too much business, but I have some people in my life that are still functioning alcoholics, okay? And uh, they've come around my family. 
family and acted a fool a few different times. And instead of me getting all worked up and everything, I'm just like, you're not coming back in my life until you do these things. And, and my other siblings or other people, if I'm, I guess I give away siblings, but other people in my life try to say, well, they hurt me like this. And, and once again, I understand I'm not their mother. I'm not their father. I'm not, you know, I'm just saying that once, once in my heart I've decided I'm giving you grace and space. I'm not letting you play me like a fiddle anymore. Here's how you know I love you. I'm just being very honest with you as a pastor. Lord, by God's grace, uh, we have finished the book of John. It was 73 sermons, 73 sermons in first service. It was completed by God's grace, 22 months. You can go back now and listen to it. You guys are in the book of Hebrews right now, nowhere near as large. But starting in the first service next week or the week following, I'm going to start teaching about the church. And here's one of the things I want, I just want everybody to understand this about the church. If I'm mad at you, if, if I raise my voice, if we get into arguments, that's because I love you. When you don't hear from me anymore, when you don't, when you don't hear me on your, your back anymore, it's not that I don't love you anymore. It's like, I don't care about your mess. Not, not my monkeys, not my circus. Can I hear an amen? Because I'm just being real honest with you. Because sometimes people are like, pastors in my business, pastors mess with me. You should be happy pastors in your business. Because when I get done with you, I'm going wakeboarding. I won't think any more about you. I'm just being very honest with you. I'll, every now and then you'll come in my heart and I'll just say, Lord, bless them. But I've had people come around and come on, tell me, tell me I'm telling the truth, baby boo. I'll have people come around and go, well, how come you don't write me anymore? How come you don't? Because I'm done with you. I moved on. Jesus may not be done with you, but I'm not Jesus. Can I hear an amen to that? I'm not your savior. So here's the thing. Take it or leave it. If I'm in your life and we're having arguments or we're working through things, at least know that I care enough about you to take some time out. Y'all don't even notice about Ray going to the sermon. The Holy Ghost just told me that. You want to know the title of today's sermon? You're not bastards. Stop acting like one. Listen, I could have said ye are bastards because that's King James, but then that would mean that my church is out of order. But I got to show you the message from the positive side. You're not bastards. I'm going to show you that's actually in the Bible. I know you think I'm being sassy, trying to be uh, coarse and vulgar. No, it's actually from the Bible and I already got it written down. Brother, come, just, come read this for me real quick. I just want you to make sure that they don't think I'm lying because I didn't know I was tying this into the sermon. What does that say there? It says you are not bastards. Okay, so that was already written there. Okay, that was already written there. But going back to this, man, if, if you are in somebody's life and they get upset with you getting upset with them, you got to remind them, man, you should be thankful I'm in your life. How many know what I'm talking about? Because if you don't want me being upset with you, then just tell me to leave. I'll go on into another relationship. Can I hear an amen? See, a lot of people think that Christianity is just wasting your time with everybody. No, Bible says, listen, everybody get this. Do not throw your pearls to swine. The Bible calls some people pigs in your life. I did it. And the Bible says don't give what is precious to the dogs. So the Bible says there are some pigs in your life and there are some dogs in your life and they don't deserve your pearls or your precious gems. Amen. Turn with me quickly in the Bible to Matthew. Let me show you that. And sister, I'm going to pray for you. We have a local representative here of the Republican Party doing conservative things in the, in the area. I want to pray for her and bless her. Uh, turn with me, though, quickly, though, to Matthew. I just want to show you this here. Not that we won't support the Democrats, but here's the thing. When they stop putting on their bill, they're going to murder children. When they stop that, then I'll pray for a Democrat as well. Amen. I still pray for them, but I'm saying in the church. I pray for those who support pro-life, and you're pro-life, right, sister? Pro-family values. You know what a man and a woman is, right? Which one are you? Sister, you know what a man and a woman is? And you know, and you know what you are, right? Okay, amen. So I'm going to pray for her to keep doing stuff in our city, amen? And our neighbor, she works for our ward. But I, I, I got to get this sermon out before the sermon, amen? 
And Democrats are more than welcome in this church. I just can't pray for your agenda until you get that off your agenda. I at least need to know that you're pro-life. Amen? Can I hear an amen to that? I need to know you're pro-life, and then I need to know that you know what a man and woman is. Amen. That's, you know, we'll pray for you privately, but I just I want you to know that when I pray for her, what I'm trying to do is get behind. I'm not saying I agree or we agree on everything. I just We've got to get behind people like that because our nation is, is wicked right now. Amen. And you don't have to vote for who I vote for. I can't even vote for her or whatever. Uh, she'll tell you what she's doing here. But I just want her to, you know, to know that we got her back. But look here in Matthew chapter 5. Look at this. I didn't make this up. This is the scripture, and this is where I'm going to go to in my message, but I guess I'm here right now, so I might as well just park it for a little bit. Notice this right here. When Jesus was talking to them, he said, don't give what is precious to the dogs and to the swine. What passage is that? Because I thought it was chapter 5, but is it chapter 5? Look for it with me right here, because I'm on the fly. This is not even in my notes right here. I thought it was in the Beatitudes. Am I wrong to think it was in the Beatitudes? Oh, it is in the Beatitudes, but it's not in 5. It's in chapter 7. Thank you, honey. Look at this. Chapter 7, verse 6 of Matthew. Do not give what? Dogs. What is what? Sacred. Do not throw your what? Pearls to what? Pigs. Thank you. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Messy people cause messes. We as Christians have been taught to be humble and to love everybody. That is true. But you don't have to give everybody the same thing. Jesus is not going to give everybody the same rewards on Judgment Day. Some people are going to get hell. Okay? And so I just want to encourage you. This, is, this will tie into the message. But I just want to encourage you from me just speaking about our, our worship team. Because in the, in the first service, I was uploading the, um, the baptismal video. And I had to make sure everything was set up. And it just put me a second behind from grabbing the mic to coming up. And I interrupted them in the song. But I, I went back and listened. I said, man, did I tell them I'm sorry? Because I came up while they were singing. I was like, amen, amen, amen. Y'all may be seated. And they were like full hype. And now I could have waited. But then I was, I just didn't think of it. I could but I was thinking like, man, I got to get this whole chapter done today. You know, I just had things on my mind. I wasn't intending to embarrass them in any way. But I went back and listened to myself to see if I apologized. But I didn't. I was just explaining while I was doing it. I was like, I'm doing this because X, Y, and Z. But I didn't say I was sorry. Everybody tracking with me. So I, I said, I'm sorry to them. And that's why I wanted to show you guys that people will find offense to all kinds of things in your life if they're looking to be offended. Like the worship team, they could have got offended. They may not even want to come up and do the second service. Pastor came up, interrupted me. Let him come up there and sing, you know. Coming out of my grave clothes, you did it and so will I. That's how the worship would sound if I let it up here today, like snap into a Slim Jim WWF singing songs for Jesus. I love you, Jesus. And so just wanted to posit that that's why we got onto that. Sister, come on up here. Let's give it up for our sister in the area working in this ward. I'm going to have her tell you what she's doing just briefly because I do have a message I have to get to. And I know you didn't ask for this. I'm going to bring you up here. I know, I know, I know. Just tell us your name. Tell us what you're doing and what you're passionate about. Okay. Hi. Hi, everybody. Thank you for accepting me. Um, my name is Ramona T. Bonianayo, and I am the committee woman here at the 31st Ward at Belmont Craigan. All right. Um, and what are you passionate about? What are you doing <laughs> Uh, what I'm passionate about is that we need to get um, a lot of people involved in voting because we're, we have this, um, this administration that's really uh, doing a lot of things that is not acceptable and they're just 
we need to change and we need to get the community and everybody involved because if not, it's going to keep going down the drain. Amen. Thank you. And we'll pray for you. Just stay right up here. Amen. Because here's the thing. All religions and all various branches of Christianity, Catholic and Protestant and Muslim and Jewish, man, we've all been brought up on the, the faith that, that you got to believe in God. You, you have mothers and fathers, you know. And now what's happening is the liberal mindset's taken over all of our cultures. And the Bible says sin is a disgrace to any people. You see the white people in sin, they look crazy. You see African-Americans in the sin, they look crazy. You see Latino, it's a disgrace to all people and to all nations. If America does this, we're going to look disgraceful. You know, we can't judge everybody else over there and say, well, look at this country, that country. When our country is doing what we're doing, we're in the murder capital, right, of the United States of America. We're corrupted. How many of our gov governors been in jail? The student uh, or the school board uh, woman, she got arrested for corruption, right? So we got to pray for her. And then let me just say, this is why I love, like, she's in the local politics here. We just had the alderman of the abortion clinic come run up on me. He ran up on me. What's the what's the the male Karen? Kyle, what do you call them dudes? What do we call them? What? Ken? Ken? K E N? Okay, thank you. So Ken came running up on me. Ken came running up Literally, man, he was like, get out of here. I'm the alderman. And I'm like, I don't care who you are. I am not moving. He's like, I'm going to get the police. I'm like, call the police. I'm standing where the police told me to stand. And he's screaming this close to me. I could smell his mocha lata, soy, uh, you know, whatever espresso he had, he's this close to me with this soy stuff. You know, so then I said to Joe B., I said, pull out the camera in case I got to defend myself against this alderman. And you know I would have won in Jesus' name, man. But don't, don't, don't quote me on that because then I have to prove it. So we're going to pray for you that this alderman gets right, that you do what's right, and that our young people, especially in the schools, do what's right. Amen. Father, we thank you for this sister taking time to work in the community, to be involved in politics. Most don't want anything to do with it, but, Lord, she's willing to be a light there. I pray that her character and her life, Lord, will be exemplary, that those can follow her lead as she follows you. And I pray that we'll join together with all different people of this community, Lord, for the betterment of this culture. Lord, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you sister. Amen. Amen. Yeah, I was seeing that as you turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12, I was seeing the Muslims and the Christians all get together in the public schools of Michigan. They're like, man, we are done with this. They were reading out the textbook, and it was so perverse, or, the, or, or an extra workbook that they got. And like, man, I'll join with the Muslim and agree with that. Like, man, we should not be teaching this perversion to our children. This is what I don't understand. If we want to teach, everybody think about this. If I want to teach out this book, they say go do that in a private school. But they want to teach out that book. The guy got two, you know, kid got two dads. Man, why do they get to do that in a public school? Man, how about we just don't talk about it at all? We just talk about, you know, we'll tell our own children what we believe the birds and the bees stand for. Amen? And it's so funny. They say they believe the science until the science contradicts them. Oh, we believe the science. Well, tell me what, tell me what uh, this transgender was. And when you look at their body right here, were they a male or a female? Tell me what it is according to their genes. You know what I'm saying? Before they change all this, just tell me what their genes say they are. Amen? 
That's why they say archaeologists don't know anything that was in the mind or how they behave sexually. So they say they're down with the science until the science disagrees with them. Now, today's message will be an intense one, but I hope that it encourages you. The message is you are not bastards. The reason why I'm using that word is not to be controversial and children do not use it at home without your parents' permission, but it is in the Bible and it is in the King James. So if you would like to join me, and by the way, we'll be doing uh, the karaoke Bible starting again in August. If you're new to our church, we normally have the Bible up there just like we did the announcements, but we have been taking a break because I wanted people to learn how to work their word or at least their own smartphone. Amen. We want to be smart with a smartphone and not dumb, right? Okay, so that, that means you got your Bible on there. You know how to use it and don't abuse it. So go to Hebrews chapter 12 and go there in the King James. So now if you only brought a paper Bible with you, you should also have one on your phone. And if you don't, uh, make sure you look to the neighbor next to you. I'm going to read it out of the King James, and I want you to hear it with that word. That sounds very strong in our culture, but at least now you'll understand why it's there and the meaning behind it. Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed or compassed with uh, or about with such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not resisted unto blood, striving against sin. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son despisest not thou chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Now, you know why I'm coming out that King James. You got rebuke there. You got chasteneth. You got scourgeth. Keep going. Verse 7. If ye endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be not chaste, but if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then ye are what? Thank you. Then ye are bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh, which corrected us and which gave, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For verily, for a few days, for they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous but grievous. Nonetheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Can I hear an amen? Amen. amen. Now you know why I read out the NIV normally. Okay. It has a lot of these and thous in there, and it has the E-T-H at the end. But I want you to notice why I wanted the King James to be there. I wanted you to hear how serious God takes discipline. God calls it chastisement, and he calls it scourging, or you could say a whooping. You could say a whooping. How many of you ever got disciplined as a child with a whooping? 
Okay? Now, we want, we want to be very clear here. We're not talking about child abuse. We're not talking about a whooping or a spanking that would result in a physical issue after, say, 30 minutes after the hiney stopped being read. Okay? So, parents, if you discipline your children, pick a spot that can take the whooping and not be in pain 20 to 30 minutes later. So, we're not, we're, we're not talking about uh, um, bruising. Cuts to the skin. Can I hear an amen to that? So what everyone understand is parents, you should not cause your children to breathe, to bleed, or to bruise. Okay? So if that kind of discipline is what you're doing to your children, we want to help you. And children, we want to make sure you're in a safe spot. Okay? Now, notice that the Bible uses that language as common discipline for children, that children should be scourged. Don't just take my word for it. Look back up there in the King James. And remember, even when it says that you do not spare the rod, but you, um, you do not spare the child, but you spare the rod. Get that in the King James for me, please. Spare the rod, not the child. I just want to make sure I have it the right way. Okay, Nancy, get that, that verse for me. Thank you. What, what passage is that? I want the passage. Nancy, grab that for me. I want to make sure that you understand that this is the language of the Bible. Okay, go to Proverbs chapter 13, verse 24, please. And look at it once again in the King James where we're not trying to soften the language. He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. Okay? And that just means that is faithful to discipline them, okay? So you do not, as the Bible says, spare the rod. You don't spare the rod. That means you give the rod to your children. Whoever spares the rod hates their children. So sometimes people have said, if you spank your children, you're abusive. The Bible actually says the opposite, that if you do not spank your children, you hate your children. But how many know I'm not saying this in the form of abuse? Okay, I'm not saying abuse. So now anyone who says that we support abuse by passages like this are liars, and they're misusing what we teach in the Bible. The Bible does not give permission to make their children bleed or be bruised. So if someone used this over you, caused you to be bruised or to, be, to bleed, they need to repent before God and get right, or those children need to get out. Okay, can I hear an amen to them? Please, I want you to hear my heart on this. Now, going back to Hebrews, notice this language is the language of how God treats us, but he uses it in the context of parents with children. Notice this again. In Hebrews chapter 12, starting there in verse 4, it says, My son, do, and, and, and onward to verse 5, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. Verse 6, For whom the Lord chastens and scourges, which would be with the rod, he does this, and the one that he does this to, he loves. So say, If God loves me, he spanks me. I know this sounds crazy. I know, I know that sounds crazy, but if God loves you, he's going to spank you. I don't think our culture wants to hear that. What our culture wants to hear is that God loves me and he's going to tickle me. What this culture wants to hear is that God will never hurt me. Now, how many know when a child gets spanked, they may not bleed, they may not bruise, but they're still hurt. It stings. Can I hear an amen to that? Man, y'all quiet here today. 
Don't be quiet in this Pentecostal church. When I spank my children, it hurts. It hurts them. But it doesn't cause them to bleed, and it doesn't cause them to bruise. Now, why is there that line between one and the other? Because if I'm causing them to be bruised and to bleed, then the hurt is now detrimental to their physical body. But the hurt that I provide without a beating, uh, without a blooding, and without a bruising is beneficial to their mind. See, I don't want to hurt the body to the point where the body can't recover within that 20 or 30 minutes because I need the mind to receive something. If I hurt them in my discipline to where their body is no longer the same, I'm no, I can't say I'm just helping the mind now because whatever I've done to the body is going to override what I did to the mind. Track with me. Is everybody listening? See, if I keep bruising and bloodying the body, the mind's not going to no more get a lesson out of that. They're going to be afraid of just getting straight up, you know, damaged. And this is what psychiatrists are trying to say any spanking does. They try to say this now that any spanking will result in the child being mentally damaged. And I don't believe that because I would call God a liar. Okay. Now, let me just ask you a question. I mean, we know that the research goes back and forth, and we know that maybe they have a research that says some children that were spanked turned out worse than children who weren't spanked. But I know I can show them the opposite research. So, so instead of going back and forth on the research, because a lot of times doctors pick their people that they're going to have in, in, into their research trials, okay? So instead of going back and forth, let me just ask you this. Were children, say, 50 years ago, your grandparents, were those children spanked more than likely, yes or no? Were they more well-behaved than this generation? Amen. Well, then there you go. <laughs> Was this generation spanked? Most of them not. So, I mean, there you go. There you, what, so what worked? What worked? What, what produced your grandparents? What produced my parents? What produced a culture of all of us, Italian? I'm half Italian and Polish. We have people from all over, uh, you know, all the parts of Latin America, Central and South America. We have people represented, you know, from the African-American heritage, from European heritage, okay? Were all of our people about 50, 75 years ago spanked? Yes or no? Yeah. Almost all of our people grew up in Polish. In, in Poland, you got spanked. In Italy, you got spanked. Amen? In Latin America, did you get spanked in Latin America? Did your grandparents get spanked? In India, my friend from India said he still gets spanked and he was a college student. <laughs> I'm being serious. He said, man, my dad still whoops me. And I said, man, what do you do? He said, if I say something wrong, my dad will grab a switch and he'll start whooping me with it. That's what he told me. Now we look at this generation, fatherless homes. Most children were disciplined by the father. And the mother, don't get me wrong, but in the traditional home, the father was in charge of the discipline. At least even if the mother did it towards the child, the father was there to oversee it. I don't have time to go through all the statistics, but look at the problems that we have now of fatherless homes. So if the father's not in the home, this is not to say, mothers, you can't do an amazing job. We're praying for you. Something is off there in the process of God's discipline. And if a mother's praying and receiving from God how to do it, we stand by you. But just understand this, because we have both in my home, the mother and the father. My wife's discipline is dis different than my discipline. Now, I know that some moms can get crazy. In my house, my mom was the crazy one. I would rather be spanked by my dad anytime <laughs> than my mom. My mom was just buck wild crazy, okay? Now, some people don't want to talk about their mom like that because they get, you know, they're sensitive about it. I'll talk about my mom like this. My mom didn't spank me. My mom beat me, okay? 
I got beat. And then she, taught, she told me she was going to beat me. She said, if you don't stop, I'm going to beat you. That's what she would say. And then after she would beat me, she would say, you want to get beat some more? This is how she would talk to me. My, my, I wish she was here right now. She would. This is the truth. My, now I, I have never slapped my children, but I have told, I have told on uh, sweet Iguela to them, I'm like, as, as much as you like grandma, and I tell them this, grandma used to slap me in the mouth. I grew up getting slapped in the mouth, and, and Latinos, you all didn't invent the chancla, the shoe being used as a discipline thing. My mom had that on lock. My mom had that on lock. My mom would, and this is where it gets buck wild crazy. My mom would throw stuff at me. My mom would try to pick me up and body slam me. One time, one time, I'll be honest with you, I was an older teenager. She tried to pick up the TV and throw it at me. That was the old school TV, okay? And my mom went to church every week and loved Jesus, and I don't hold any of it against her. I just told her I've come up and how I'm going to raise my children, okay? She did the best she knew how. She grew up with a father that never even told her that he loved her. She didn't grow up in a loving family. She grew up in a very strong, uh, very uh, disciplined family, Italians, okay? They treated her very, very much non-relationally, almost like she was a guest in the house, you know? Okay, so one time my mom got mad at me, and she was like, I'm so mad at you. I could just throw this TV at you. And she was trying to pick it up and throw it at me. I felt so bad for my mom, so I was like, hey, do you want me to pick it up for you? I told her that. She got so mad at me because I was, she was just, I throw it at you. I'm like, I got you. What do you want me to do with it? Okay? So I'm not, I'm not saying that I can't relate to a house that when the discipline goes down, it becomes a war zone. I can relate to that. But that's not what the Bible's talking about. That's not what it's talking about. What the Bible's talking about is an organized house. Somebody say an organized house. This is the kind of house the Bible talks about the cultures were built on. They call it the patriarchy now, but it was where the man would have the final say. He would love his wife as he loved himself, as he loved Jesus, and the wife would submit to the man, not in in an abusive way, but would submit to him to let him have the final vote, and together they would raise the children. That's how the Bible is written. Somebody say Bible. Amen. We're not talking about Oprah who still hasn't married that man. We're not talking about Ellen who lives with a woman and does things she shouldn't do. We're not talking about them. We're not talking about Brad Pitt and these Hollywood stars and which time has J-Lo Dayton been act like? Is this their fourth time together? We're not talking about this. What we're talking about is the Bible. This is how the Bible was, okay? This is how it was and this is how it taught us to be. And many of our cultures, if not most of them, were influenced by this, by this book. When you have that in order, everybody get this right here. When you have that in order, when I watch my wife go easy on the kids, I'm like, that's not going to help them. How many of you grew up in a home where the mother was maybe more, more easy than the father? I, I grew up in a home, even though my mom was crazy, my mom was still more easier going in certain things than my dad was, even though my mom would lose her temper. I'm not saying who would lose their temper quicker. I'm saying where the discipline would come for the standard. My dad had a higher standard than my mom, even though my mom could go buck wild a lot quicker than my dad. There was one time my dad said, I'm done with this. And he took off his jacket because he would wear a suit every day to work. He came home and he said, I'm done with this. He took off his jacket and he was ready to fight me. I ran out that house so fast, I don't even know how that door opened. I'm being honest with you. I'm like, that's it. But my dad had it up to here, right? But I'm telling you, my dad set the standard. My dad set the standard. And same thing in my house, I set the standard. And oftentimes my wife unintentionally will not see the same standard as the way I see it. So let me just tell on us a little bit here. I can just come up with examples and they're all sitting right there, some of them over here. But 
the other day, uh, Zoe, Zoe, go ahead and raise your hand. They're going to pray for you now, okay? <laughs> so we got these new scooters for Titus's birthday, the little electric ones, you know. Got them $80 on Marketplace. Got two for 80 It's a great deal. Love Marketplace. Because my kids grow up out of everything and are bored of everything. So I just go to Marketplace, buy somebody else's kids brand new stuff, amen? <laughs> it's brand new to us. You know what I mean. So anyways, they are told where to take it. They are told where to take it. They, we have a sidewalk in be, behind our yard, and they're told they can only go from this area to this area so we can see them. My biggest fear, because I've watched too many Lifetime movies, my biggest fear is that somebody's going to roll up, take them, put them in the van before I can even get out of my chair. That's my biggest fear, okay? So every parent, you know what I'm talking about. So then we're looking for Zoe. She's not where she's supposed to be. So this is what I hear. I'm doing my Bible study. Getting ready for today. You can hear the sound of angels in my room. Everything is chill. I hear Nancy yelling at the top of her Greek lungs, okay? And anybody who thinks she's quiet don't know her, okay? She is not quiet. There's nothing about her that is quiet except when she's being all sweet right there. But at home, Nancy is not quiet. She is yelling, I would say, approximately 300 yards, three football fields. She is yelling a half a mile to my children because Zoe has now led Titus on the scooter to the no-go zone. And Nancy's just yelling for them to come back. And then she's telling them, if you don't come back, I'm going to whoop you. This is what she's saying, okay? Now, she's not as, as, as intense as me, but you're going to notice where the difference comes in just a minute. There's a lot of what can go down with her, with her voice. See, to me, it will go down. It's not, I won't tell you it's going down. Uh, it may go down. I'm telling you, it is going down. I don't give, all, I don't give like potential situations. You get what I'm saying? I, I tell you the fact. This is not a threat. This is a promise. You are going to get spanked. So I tell her, I say, let's not tell the whole neighborhood what we're going to do with our kids right now. <laughs> so I tell her to chill. Go over there because I'm doing my Bible study. I'm trying to get spiritual for this. I'm like, go over there and go get them. And bring them back. And then what do I tell them? I tell them, this is the punishment right now. Now, there's no spanking, thank God. But I say, this is the punishment. See, that's the difference. See, my wife was willing to yell and say all kinds of things. Who knows what was actually going to go down? But you see, for me, it's a standard, it's a discipline, and it's implemented. It's not all emotional. Even though my wife is amazing, I can be emotional too. That can tend to be what the woman will do, will be all emotional. See, I'm about the discipline. I don't need to do the yelling and hollering. I'm getting you here. This is the thing. This is the thing. We're doing it. And that's how we're going to be. See, the Bible says that's how God is like. God is not emotionally whooping us. He's not just doing it out of just sheer like he's, he's out of control or is he just threatening us. No, the Bible says this is what's going to happen. Everybody say this is what is going to happen. Out of the NIV, this is what is going to happen. God is going to chasten you. God is going to discipline me. <laughs> Come on, this is about me as well as you. God is going to do this, and he's going to do it as a father. And you're going to have to learn to live with it. And the problem is, is that most of us don't want to have God do that to us. Oftentimes we think to ourselves, the one that disciplines is the one that doesn't love us. And this is the problem that I have as a pastor, is because many people in our church, young adults, did not grow up with a father like that. So let's say if you're not growing up with a father, many are not. They're growing up in single-family homes, and the mother's emotional, and the mother's only yelling like, say, Nancy was yelling. Then when a father says, this is taken from you, this is done, and you don't get it back, they begin to think the father doesn't love them. Okay? I can always tell men 
in the church who were not raised by another man. I can always tell them because when I discipline them in the church or I tell them no, you can always tell who really loves you when you tell them no, if they're still your friend. You'll notice people who are only there for what you give them. They're Jimmy. They'll take all you'll give me. But when you tell somebody no, you see who they really are. I can always tell men in this church who were not raised by their father because when I tell them no, they want to be emotional. And they want to make it all about their offense instead of understanding the discipline. Now, this doesn't mean that every one of you here can't get it if you weren't raised with a father. But you need to understand that fathers operate differently than mothers. I have my wife as a great example. And maybe for you, you would say, oh, I'm different than Nancy. To me, it doesn't matter. You're not a man if you're not a man. Men talk and deal with each other differently than the way women talk and deal with each other. Just look at us and how we socialize. You go over to a woman's house, because I see my girls have friends over all the time. The girls will all be sitting around in a circle. They'll all be talking to each other. They'll all be hanging out. You watch a guy hang out or guys hang out. They're all sitting next to each other watching something, not saying anything. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? You walk into a room of girls hanging out, you, you feel like you just entered a talk show. Everybody's talking. Everybody's looking at it. There may be an activity of nails or of bracelets or something being made. That may be happening, but the talking is the most important thing. I can tell you right now, you get five men together, they will say about three words to each other and stop talking, and they'll start doing something quietly together. They'll play video games quietly together. They'll play basketball quietly. They'll do it, and they will be quiet until they start competing with each other or they're razzing each other on. That just shows you there's something different about us. The same thing is when you're dealing with a man. Now, men can be emotional. We have more than ever before because of how women have raised these men because men now speak more out of their emotions than any generation that I've seen. I'll just be honest with you. But men are more doers. Men are going to step out and solve the problem. That's why I think every single sport should be like hockey and let the men fight. I'm being honest with you. In hockey, you can only check a dude so much before you got to now take down your stick and you got to fight that person. I wish in every single sport they would do that because that would stop all this nonsense in baseball and in, in basketball. The moment you cross a line with another man, what you're basically saying to that man is, I want to fight you. I think every sport should have an opportunity for them to fight. Because that solves the problem. I'm just being 100% real with you because it solves the problem. Th there are things that men will only do once they respect you and know that you're in charge. Listen to me. There are some men, you may even be in this place. I'm not saying you have to get beat up to have respect for another man. But you won't respect another man until he puts you in check. And see, women, you don't understand that. See, sometimes I see women sticking up for their husbands even after the husband already cheated on them. When we teaching the man how to be a man, they think we're too hard on the man. I said, are you listening? Come on. I had a woman come to me because her husband was physically abusing her, and I told the man, if you ever lay a hand on her again, you have us and the police to worry about in the church. She felt sorry for that man, took him out the church, and said, you need a different kind of man to talk to you. So she went to a pastor that continually dresses up like he's Ken from the Barbie movie. I'm just being honest with you. That can be your pastor if you want that man to be your pastor, but I'm not an effeminate pastor. All right? I don't talk to men effeminately. Every man, you know what I'm talking about. I'm not threatening you. You know as a man. Every, I'm looking at all the men here. Every man knows how I'm talking to you. I'm not threatening you. But you know I'm a man like you're a man. So that means if you and I came to a conflict, I am not in any way 
threaten to defend myself against you. I may not want to. I haven't gotten into a real fight since I'm a Christian. But every man, I'm looking at men in this church, is ready right now to fight and defend somebody or themselves. Can I hear an amen from the men? That, that's, that is not a concern to us. For women, and I know, see, because men have not been in the house, women have not been taught how to be a lady. They think they have to be a man. And some of the worst fights that I had to break up in the youth group that I used to pastor was women fighting each other. Now, I have no problem with a woman learning how to fight and doing all these other things. By the way, we have women pastors here, so we believe in the equality there, but we also believe in the differences, okay? I just want to be very clear with you here. When the Bible says that he's a father and that he disciplines us, that's how he does it. And I deal with a lot of people in the church, and they don't understand that's how a man does it. That's how a man does it. That's why today in our culture, we don't have presidents that are men. Look at this president right now, Sleepy Joe, right? This man, he's a president, but he doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't have any respect from world leaders, right? No one respects our politicians. No one respects our teachers. No one respects our police officers. See, I grew up, not, nothing wrong with the female police officer. I believe they can be that. But I grew up understanding that a police officer was there to protect me and was there to be strong and brave. I'm not saying they always are. They're corrupt. They need other men to put them in check. But I grew up in a culture where a fireman, somebody like that was strong and brave, military. But see, we have lost that kind of respect. So now everybody get this. So when you come into a church and you're taught not to sin, and you're told that God's going to discipline if you do sin this way, because that's really what it all comes down to. I'm not here to physically fight you, obviously. We're not here to now have a boxing match afterwards to see how long Joe can, can last. I think I would last for quite a while, though, to be honest with you. <laughs> I think until I ran into this gentleman right here. <laughs> I know, but some of you small ones might knock me out, you know. But honestly, like... I'm not here for that. I'm not here to try to be masculine and be like an Andrew Tate or something. No, no, no. But hear me on this. But I am here to be like the Father, God the Father. You don't have to call me Father, but I'm here to be like God the Father until you get to sin out your life. And I'm here today to be strong with you that if you're living in sin, you're going to go to hell. I need to tell you that message. Just like I'm going to tell my children at 18, if you don't want Jesus, you're out this house. Everybody get that? See, we tolerate sin too much, and we think, well, be, well, God's like that because so-and-so is like that. No, God is not like that. When God said it was over for Sodom and Gomorrah, it was over for Sodom and Gomorrah. There was no more debate about it. When God said it was over for Pharaoh and the Egyptian, it was over for them. You have to understand that God is not going to cry for us as that mother does in the jail cell. God is going to be like the father that says, go and take them out back and kill them if you have to. You never see a father in the same way about a mother that they do towards these pedophile and towards these murderers. You always see the mother. Well, you don't know so-and-so. You don't know so-and-so. If my child is a pedophile, they deserve the death penalty. That's a father talk. See, now you know there's a difference. Well, Joe, you're just a crazy man. My father's nothing like Your father needs to man up then. He needs to be around more men like me. Why? Because I want my culture to understand. I don't care if it's my children. I don't care if it's your children. We do not behave like that. You die in this culture. You take another man's life, you die. I'll be the first one to flip the switch on my son or daughter. They join gangs. They take somebody that's innocent's life or they kill somebody else. I'll be there at the, at the time when they flip the switch. And I'll say, let's flip it. 
Son, get ready to meet Jesus. We told you not to kill people. This is your penalty. Do you know in the Bible they stoned rebellious children? That didn't come from a woman. That came from a man. I appreciate what a woman can do. The Bible even calls himself, uh, God even says of himself, I'm like a mother hen. I can do these things for you and cover you and guard you, and that's beautiful. But understand, my friends, that's not how he normally is. He can be like that, but that's not normally how he is. The Bible says the Lord is a man of war. You understand? I said, do you all understand? So the Lord is a man of war. When you heard that, you didn't think about the mom that was there that you had to leave behind to go to war. No, you're thinking about the one you're facing on the battlefield. That's a man of war, and if I'm a man of war, we're going to fight till death. Read about David in the Bible. The Bible doesn't say he's the son of Mary. How many times does it call him the son of Mary? Only one time, and it says, we know who your parents are. No, the Bible says of Jesus, he's the son of David. David was a warrior. When David spoke, the other man listened. The men were like, yeah, I'm with that dude. I'm with that guy. I'm taking out a giant with him. The Bible says that when that man had courage, the other men around him got courage. And now, do women like being around a man like that? Not a man that abuses, not a man that, that, that forces his authority. But according to the Bible, women like a strong man. According to the Bible, women want a man that has authority and discipline in the house so that they don't have to let their emotions rule the house. The man's discipline can help guide those emotions. As much as I love my wife, and she's probably more stable than all the women in here. That's how I think about it, okay? I know you're all stable, but she's more probably stable than you are. I'll be honest with you. I still don't let her emotions run the house. The discipline of the man runs the house. And my children sit under that discipline, and it's not always comfortable. But they understand when dad comes around, the discussion is over. We're done now. And the problem is in the church is we don't understand when God said it's a sin, it's a sin. The discussion is over. When he said homosexuality is a sin, the discussion is over. When he said sex outside of marriage is a sin, the discussion is over. Do you know right now in the Philippines parents can kill their children if they see them having sex outside of marriage? That comes from a Christian culture. I'm not just talking about what Muslims can do. we got to also remember what Christians can do. You know, in this culture, it used to be just like that. They would tar and feather you if you acted like that. But now we let our children act any which way they want. We allow anything to go on, and then we give them slaps on the wrist. I'm not saying you should be able to kill your children. I'm just saying there are still some Christian countries that say you're not doing that here. Why? Because you're saying to your children, you will not be rebellious in my house. Look it up. Can parents kill a child they find? It has to be in the act of sex before they are 18 years old. Can they kill them? And guess what? You can kill your spouse for adultery in the Philippines. You might be saying, why have I learned all of this? Because I'm going to the Philippines by God's grace for a mission trip. When you come back, sit with your uh, mom, Hannah. When you come back, sit with her. Do you understand? Thank you. I'll show you how we can keep it in check right now. Too much moving around with you all right there. Listen to me. I'm going to the Philippines, so I want to learn about them. I said, I got to check out some of their strange laws or different things. And you know one of the things that I learned is that you could kill your spouse if you find them in the act of adultery. Think about that. In that culture, honor is so held up in esteem that if you see them having sex, you can pull out a gun and shoot both of them and then go to court and say, this is the law that I'm under. My friends, I'm tired of people thinking of Christians as always being weak. 
You have too many people thinking that in Christianity, anything goes. You have to look back in history to where some of our laws came from and now understand what has happened when we have removed those laws. I'm not saying we should do what the Philippines is doing, but how many know in our culture, adultery just goes along too much? I saw a man, I'm just going to be very honest with you, it broke me down so much. I saw a man catch his spouse, you know, having an adulterous affair, and he's crying in front of this man saying, please give me back my wife. I saw that like on Instagram. Not in the Philippines, both of them going to meet Jesus. Seriously. How many know if that's the way it was, how many know people are going to stop committing adultery as much as they do now? And that's the way it used to be in our culture, among all people. Look at any one of your histories. If you're African-American, go back to Africa and research how it is in Africa. Look at Uganda right now. Look at some of these nations that are Christians. They are making homosexuality a crime, some of them punishable by death. There's one where they're interviewing, I think it's Uganda. There's a few of them that are Christian nations, and they say, do you want to change your stance on homosexuality? He's like, no, I'm not changing my stance on it talking to the president. We like our culture. We want our culture. And so the idea is, yes, in Christianity, there's grace, there's forgiveness, but we have lost the standard. We have lost discipline. Nobody fears the judge anymore. Nobody fears the police anymore. Nobody fears the parents anymore. I knew the change was happening when it went from Bill Cosby. Now we turned out, he turned out to be a perv, but it went from fathers being like Bill Cosby and family ties and these shows that, you know, I used to watch even Leave it to Beaver from the reruns or the Brady Bunch. Anybody grow up on some of those shows I'm talking about? You were in the 80s, but you grew up on the reruns back then. I knew it changed. Even when you look at uh, Full House, like the show my, my wife would like to watch, and then the one that would come after that had Urkel, what was that one called? Family matters, and the man was the police officer. I knew it was changing when they went from the parents being like that to the parents being the joke. To the parents, the father became the idiot. I knew the culture was changing because I didn't grow up in a father, a, a home where the father was the idiot. I didn't grow up in a home where you could do whatever you wanted and not be disciplined. And now look at what we're dealing with. Look at the, look at the scripture right here. The Bible says here that we are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. And that now we are to throw off every sin and weight that so easily besets us. Hebrews chapter 3 teaches us about all these heroes of the faith. And they were man and woman and young and old. And we're supposed to look at them and say, man, I want to be like them. Because they're now in heaven. They're in the grandstands of heaven. They're cheering us on. And they're telling us, get rid of your sin. Get rid of the things that hold you down. Now notice, not everything is a sin. Some things are weights. So in other words, God's going to give us all the same black and white standard of what a sin is and what a sin is not. We will all have that. Galatians chapter 5 is a great illustration of the new covenant sins. These are the things that apply to everybody. It doesn't matter who you are. But then there are some weights on us that are going to be different from each person. Some of you, you should never play video games again because it's going to cause you to sin and waste your time. Others can play video games but have a disciplined life. Can I hear an amen? You see the difference. See, somebody's going to be told never to watch a movie again because movies will take you down a road of entertainment and chasing what you see on the screen. And then others, God will say, watch only these kind and that will be okay. So to each person, you're going to have a different weight. See, my weight's different than your weight. But we all have to have the same basics of health. 
So if I go against my health, it would be the same as if I went against your health because we all need a heart that functions, lungs, smoke's going to mess us both up, too much cholesterol is going to be bad for all of us. But then there are things that both of us, are uh, that, that we're going to have different between the both of us, between us. Maybe I can have more dessert if I ride my bike. Maybe if you eat dessert, you can't go out and exercise and you'll put on more weight and I won't. So we'll have some differences of how we'll put on weight. Sin is always sin, in other words, and what weight is is going to differ per person. And so each one of us need to look at our lives and say, what are the areas that can become sins for me? And then what are the areas that can become weights for me? And we have to lay them aside, amen? And we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. See, the Bible says Jesus knew what his purpose was, and he stayed focused on it. He didn't sin, and he didn't get distracted by the weights of the world. Don't let any... Freedom or privilege that God gives you become a weight in your life. And don't let any sin tempt you to the point where it becomes your slave master. Let us all look unto Jesus as he went to the cross. Let us now carry our cross. And the Bible says that he scorned the shame. Serving Jesus will come with persecution. People won't always like us. But the Bible says that we can look at that and say, I don't receive it. Jesus did not receive the shame. He scorned it. So he's like, no, haters, I hate your hate. Did you get that? I hate your hate. I don't receive your hate. I don't receive your condemnation. I condemn your condemnation. Jesus scorned their shame. But what did he get as a reward? The Bible says he got to sit down at the right hand of the throne of God. As the Son of God, pre-incarnate, he was always there. But when he came back to his seat that was reserved for him, what's the difference? Now he has on flesh like us. Hebrews teaches that Jesus didn't become like an angel. Jesus became like a man so that he could save mankind, redeeming Adam and Eve's sins. Jesus became the Lamb of God, and by doing that, he has now been exalted to the right hand of God, not just as the Son of God, which he always was, but the Son of Man, one like us. So in other words, sitting next to God the Father is God the Son, fully God and fully flesh, fully man. He did this to give us an example of what we will now face. Think of it like this. You'll always be man, but you can have God inside of you. You can now have God's power on the inside of you to face what your flesh goes through in this world. That's why the Bible says, greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Can I hear an amen? Thank you for helping me preach today. Now look at verse 4. Why does he say verse 4? It's because of everything we just learned. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. What is that referring to? Jesus at the time of temptation saying, not my will, but your will be done. And he sweat drops of blood. And the author is saying, you fight against sin, you struggle against sin, but you've never even done it to that extent. Sir, you who are addicted to OnlyFans that say you can't quit, have you ever tried to fight it to the point where you shed blood? You who say here today you can't be committed to church, your Bible study, discipleship because of the temptations of this world, have you fought your temptation to the point where you shed blood? No, none of us have gone to that extent, but God in the flesh did, and he said if he can do it, you should have no excuse for what you face. You see, many of us look at Jesus and say, of course I couldn't be like Jesus. He was perfect. But the Bible says if he was perfect and had to suffer the way he did, then you should strive for perfection. See, think about it. Most people say He's, he was perfect. I'm not, so I can't be like him. That's not how the Bible says it. The Bible says look at what he went through to be perfect. Now strive to be like him. No one's perfect. We all make mistakes. You see, that's what a sissy says. 
I love what one coach said to his, his little league team. He said, there are only winners and losers out here. Don't listen to your parents. Not everybody's a winner. If you lose today, you're a loser. Are you listening to me? Well, don't tell my kid that. No, your kid needs to learn that. We're all not getting a trophy today. Does everybody get that? It doesn't mean you're a loser in life. It just means walking off this field, there's only going to be two groups of people. There are going to be winners walking off this field, and there are going to be losers according to this game. You're not getting a trophy for losing. You're getting one for winning. Fight and play like it counts. Leave it all on the field. Can I get an amen? I'm not saying that a sissy cannot be a real man, cannot change. But what I'm saying is we have pacified this generation too much to where we think that this kind of talk is uh, toxic masculinity, and it's not. The Bible speaks to men as men and then teaches those men to pastor their churches, lead their homes, and for the women and for the children to say, I stand with those men. Amen. I hope you agree with that because that's why he talks the way he talks. He said, in your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding blood. I can see this as an MMA fighter saying, hey, you haven't puked yet, keep training. You haven't passed out yet, keep training. Why? Because the guy that you're going to face in the ring is not going to care about you. And brothers and sisters, we have a real enemy that does not care about us. The devil will not back off of you because you get tired. The devil will not stop because he sees your family suffer. He will stay on you until you kick him in his teeth. Are you listening? He will stay on you until you cost him more than what that fight is worth. Until you knock him back so many times he says, I'm going to the neighbor's house, man. I'm done messing with these kids over here because every time I mess with these kids, Joe prays for three hours, rebukes the whole demons on the block. I'm going to start messing with you because God puts a hedge of protection around his people. Are you listening? I want the devil, I want the devil when he sees us coming that he goes, oh, not them again. See, some of you, when the devil comes at you, you're like, oh, me, oh, my. That's what I want him to say when he sees me. Are you listening? You see, I want when the devil sees me, I want him to act like how many scary Christians act. Scary Christians, they have one test, one trial, they get all discouraged. And I'm not saying you can't ask for prayer and you shouldn't uh, be weak. We all face weakness. Trust me, I'm not trying to be more than I'm not. But I'm just saying, like, I listen to Christians make these prayer requests as if the devil's so big and God is so small. No, I want when Christians are in battle for them to come out with the war cry of David. Say, I'm coming after you, you uncircumcised Philistine. You can call me a dog, but I'm about ready to call you dead as I hang up your head over my mantle. We tell these stories to our children, and we don't understand the reality of it. David slew a giant, beheaded him, and lifted up his head to the rest of the boys that were scared and said, Now what? Are you with me or not? Take the army over there. Amen? Someone needs to stand up to these demons and these devils and say, take this homosexuality, take this adultery, take this pornography, take this abuse, take this selfishness, and then shout out to the rest, let's go. (laughs) Someone needs to knock them down. But you can't do that if you're struggling with sin. When I talk to my children out of that call of a father, I'm not doing that to boss them around. 
Because I tell fathers and husbands all the time, if you've got to shout you're the man to the whole house, you ain't the man. Show it you're the man, then they'll follow you. I'm the man. Y'all need to listen to me. You're not the man. You've lost control of your house. The pilot doesn't have to come onto the to plane. I'm the pilot. I'm the pilot. I control the ship. We know you do. Just do it. A man that gets all emotional like that's not a true man. He's not acting in the masculinity of the father or the husband. How do my children know I'm the man of the house? Because I live by integrity. They know where I'm sleeping every single night. They watch the words that I speak. Never a swear word out of my mouth in front of them. Any wrong that I've ever done towards their mother, I've asked for their forgiveness and my wife's forgiveness. They have seen me spank them and then check their hiney to make sure there's no bleeding or bruising. <laughs> and sometimes we a little close. Go get the ice. Let's work on this. You butt's a little tender right now. <laughs> but I check their butts all the time. Okay. My mom broke a, a paddle on my butt before just to tell you, okay? She didn't care, but I care. Somebody say he cares. But they know I'm the man of the house, right? And then we're not talking about necessarily providing every Jordan, everything that they need, but they know they're provided for. My, my wife wants to work, she can, but she doesn't have to. I'm giving, their, uh, I'm giving them a peace in the home. Now, if I went around shouting all the time, telling them I'm their dad and all of this and that, then I wouldn't have that respect. My life is worthy of that respect. And brothers and sisters, we need that in the church. It says, have you struggled and sinned so much that you've gone to the point of blood? And then now look at what it says, and have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement? This is actually meant to encourage us. That's why I'm encouraged by you clapping and getting excited, because I'm excited with you. But sometimes we got to say the tough part first, right? Because it says this is supposed to be a word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son. Son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Don't lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves. He chastens everyone he accepts as a son. Come on up here, Lucas. Let's get one of my twins up here. Can you bless the Lord for one of these, one of these young men in my house? That's how we dap it off. If I did that to my daughter, she would start crying. I tell them when we dap, I say, you better hit me as hard as I'm hitting you in the back. And you can hear that thump. And then I go, yeah, now we did it. Give it up for this young man right here. <laughs> but I teach him to be gentle. Jesus was gentle. But when he's with another man and when he's asserting his strength and his discipline, they need to learn to be strong. Can I hear an Amen. Just a few more examples about what separates the different genders. I know I should have preached this in Mother's and Father's Day, but we don't get by a calendar. We just get where the Scripture's at. So this is where we're at today. But I want you all to hear me. So Titus came in the house the other day. He was crying. And I said, what are you crying for? He said, somebody did something. It was just enough for me to say, just go back out there and take it like a man. Okay? He goes back out there. They all do the thing. I don't know what happens. Then uh, the day goes on. I talk to Zoe. I say, what happened? She said, well, he was playing with this boy, and this boy kicked him. And I said, oh, okay, then what did he do? He, and then she said, well, Titus kicked him back. And I'm like, amen. <laughs> and I'm like, why did he come in crying? He said, because then the boy left crying. So then he came crying or left to go tell his parents. So he wanted to make sure that you knew what was going on. So then the boy came back and said, I got to say sorry, and so do you. So then he, then I said, did he say sorry? And then and Zoe said, yeah, the boy said sorry. And I said, did Titus say sorry? She said, yeah, Titus said sorry. I said, I said you said you're sorry, right, Titus? He said, yeah. I go, good boy. That's how men settle their problems. 
Can I hear an amen to that? That's how men settle their problems. What am I going to do? Go out there. No, 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 no. None of y'all do this. I'm going to go against how God made you guys. I'm going to put, I'm going to put dresses on you. I'm going to make you uh, paint, you know, with your, uh, you know, paintbrush and do all this. No, man, they want to paint, they can paint. I was just trying to think of something they could do other than fight. I don't know what I was thinking of. What am I going to do? I'm going to go out there and get them boxing gloves and say, now do it. Amen. I just think that when we hear the Lord disciplines us, we think that he says, oh, okay, okay, listen, listen. And I'm going to talk effeminate, okay? My wife doesn't like it, but I'm just going to talk how I think a sissy, effeminate person talks. Hey, y'all, just go on over there. You guys, listen, the devil, he doesn't like you, but just try to get along. No, God doesn't speak to us like that. God doesn't speak to He goes, go over there and whoop them. I tried and I got knocked down. Well, then get back up and go at them again. Do you understand that's how God talks to us? The Bible says you're going to struggle against sin, and until you're bleeding, don't even come here saying that it's hard yet. That's what the Bible says. He said, don't you think about that. You better think about what's going to happen when you walk through these doors defeated. As the old school saying used to go, hey, if you came home and you got beat up, you better say you gave it your best. Don't come here saying you got beat up and you didn't try. Can I hear an amen? I told, them my, ki- I told my kids, we don't fight fair if they ever jump in on us. You all jumping in on them. Amen? And some people say, what about this Christian idea of turning the other cheek? That's different. That's when you're having opposing ideas, rational conversation, and someone wants to strike you as they did in the time of Israel, and the judges would try to strike you to humiliate you. Let them humiliate you. Keep making your point. The example of that would be passive resistance with Martin Luther King Jr. standing up against those who were importing uh, Jim Crow laws, and they would take the abuse, even the fire hydrants, the dogs, all of these wicked, evil things to show that they were willing to suffer for their cause. But remember, there was also a civil war that said, we're not talking anymore. We're killing you, okay? So the Bible says there's a time for peace and there's a time for war. In times of peace, when you're bringing about social change, passive aggression, passive resistance is a great way to go about it. Can I hear an amen? But you also have to teach war because some things don't get settled that way. And it's a good thing the South, during the time of the civil rights, made that decision or how many know we would have buckled up, knuckled up, buckled up right down there, whipped their butts again. Amen? Georgia, if y'all don't make this right, we're going to take you out. How many would join that fight if you were around during that time? How many would have made sure those African-Americans would have made it across that bridge or whatever they were trying to do during that time? Like, like we're making sure this is happening, right? So there's a time for passive resistance, you know, time to work things out without going to war, and then there's other times you go to war. Some of you are just trying to play patty cake with the devil. You're acting like God's okay with that. No, God is going to keep disciplining you until you get over your sin. Everyone get that in your heart. God is disciplining me. He is disciplining all of us until we get over our sins. He is not saying to make friends with your sin. He is not saying play with your sin. He is saying get out there and kick your sin's butt. Show your sin who is boss. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And that's why, by the way, Going back to our example of the church, people leave here all the time, write about us on Facebook and on Google reviews because they don't want to hear that. They want to hear that they can live in adultery, live together as boyfriend and girlfriend, come here, ask God to forgive them, and go back out there and do the same thing. My kids don't do that in my house. No one in this church will ever do this in God's house, and you certainly ain't going to do it when you get to heaven. It's in or out. Can I hear an amen? So you say, well, pastor, what happens if we sin? Accept the Lord's discipline. 
Man, this is how I know people aren't serious about Christianity. Because if you truly wanted to stop sinning in that adulterous affair, you would get out of that bed, sleep on the couch if you have to, until you all got married or you got separate places. You would fear God. You would say, I don't want to be disciplined by the Lord. My children do not want to continually be disciplined by me. I promise you that. But the fact that people come around and they keep living in sin, they keep living in sin, it shows me they're not being serious with God. You don't know God. You know Aladdin, you know what I'm saying? You know that genie in a bottle. Because if you really knew God, you would know what it does when you sin against him. How many have sinned and felt guilty in their conscience? How many have felt the sweet love of forgiveness and grace? How many want that more than to keep sinning then? See, that's what I'm talking about. That's why the Bible says don't, make, don't lose your heart. See, if God's teaching me a lesson through the ups and downs of my life, then that means that I've got to make my choice not to quit on God. The other day, I was out bike riding with Rudy and them. And uh, Rudy, where are you at, my brother? I know he's catching up. Man, you're doing amazing. And uh, Rudy, he's a new bike rider, you know. And I'm one of those guys that, you know, like just takes it way too serious, okay. I'm a middle-aged man, always fighting off a middle-life crisis, trying to do something, which I probably shouldn't. I do get sore. I hurt all the time. But when I got these young guys with me, I want to show them how fast I normally ride, you know. So I got into this sprint mode just this last time that we were out, and I said, Try to keep up with me. And I look behind, and he's way behind me, okay? Then I slow down, and we enjoy the rest of the day together. But this is what he told me. He said, that first five minutes that I tried to keep up with you blew out my legs, and I'm still recovering from it. <laughs> Did you not tell me that? That first five minutes just blew out the, but here's the thing. If I don't show him how I normally ride, then I don't love him. I got to show him how I ride when I'm not with him. How many know if I just sat next to him and all, I know some of you ladies want to get on one of those bikes with the little, the little frills that come off the handlebars, those little, what do they call those little things? Streamers. Yeah, I know some of y'all just want to be on a beach cruiser with me with a little basket of flowers in the front. That's not how I ride. Okay, you and Nancy can go ride like that. When I ride, like I told you, I take it too serious. Now, now this is the thing. But I said to him, do you want to learn? how I ride. Do you want to keep up with me and how I ride? And you said, yes. Man of God, he's going to be able to beat me. And trust me, he better have the mic and make fun of me, all right? But I'm not making fun. He's doing amazing. But he can make fun of me. But watch. If I didn't love him, I would pretend like I'm riding with him at that same speed that he's at. I love him enough to dust him because I have to show him, dude, if you want to ride with us, you got to ride like this. This is how fast we go. This is what it feels like. That five minutes will blow out your legs compared to the whole time you went out by yourself. Sometimes people will send me because they know I talk about riding a bike, and I'll ride 20, 30 miles, drop of the hat, right? I, I rode uh, 100 miles this week. That's what I do for exercise. I don't even have to go to the gym. The moment I leave my garage, I'm at the gym, amen? I save money, all of that, so I just go. Boom, an hour, hour and a half, I'm done. I don't have to worry about getting and parking and handing in that thing, getting a towel, wondering who's on what. Boom, I'm gone. Now watch. I could say to him, you're just keeping up, but he's not. So every now and then people will send me their pictures. Well, I rode 20, 30 miles. I'm like, you didn't ride it like this. Come out with me one time and ride it like that with me. I remember another dude did me like that, but it was jogging. This dude has run 100 miles. He's ran a century and won a marathon before. I didn't know this about him at the time. He was my intern when we were in Bible college. And sometimes, you know, when you're a pastor and you got interns, you think you're cool, you know. So I didn't put in perspective that people who are with me might be cool in their own way. So he said, hey, man, we all going to go jogging. Do you want to go with me? The interns are going to do it. So I said, sure. The moment he started jogging, that was already a sprint for me. 
He was, he was so much faster than me that by the time I could tell him, I'm not going to be able to keep up with you, he was already down the block. That dude, listen, I'm being honest to God with you. We already said what we were going to run. That man did not stop for me. That man kept going the entire time, did his lap, got back to my house, took a shower, made breakfast. No, I'm kidding. By the time I got home, that's a man. Now, I'm not trying to say women can't do that to each other, but I'm saying I realized real quickly, if I ever mess with this dude, I can't run away from him. There is no way I can run away from him. I just respected him from that moment forward. I understood. That man loved me by showing me what it was like. One more time here. When it comes to finances, they said that one time Warren Buffett took out a bunch of these young men for business. And as he was taking them out, they had to sign up, put their names, and register. But it was going to be a private lunch. And what surprised this one young man is that he had to pay for the lunch. Now, if you know anything about Warren Buffett, he's one of the top five richest people in the world. So this stuck in his mind. Like, man, this is, you know, this is uh, pennies to this guy. You know, why would he make me pay for the lunch? And so at the dinner, uh, they asked him. One of the guys asked him, said, hey, man, we appreciate your time. You're, you're, you're worth it. But why would you have us pay for the meal? And you know what Warren Buffett said? There are no free lunches in life. That's your first lesson. Brothers and sisters, do not think in your spiritual battle you're ever going to win against sin unless you get serious about it and start fighting. And then you realize the one speaking to you is a father and he is disciplining you. Notice verse 7 quickly in closing. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as children for what children are not disciplined by their father. If you do not receive discipline and everyone undergoes discipline, then ye are bad. Or in the NIV, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters. Now look at this next part, and you tell me if the Bible lied or speaking in general. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. I know a lot of fatherless kids would raise up in church right now and say to Paul, because I believe that's who wrote it, say, Paul, you're lying, man. You said all of us had fathers who disciplined us. I didn't have a father. Do you know how common it was in that culture that that man speak? That's why I say speaking in generalities is not a lie. That man spoke in generality. He said, all of y'all here have had a father and disciplined you, and you knew it, and you respected him for it. But I talk to this culture. Come on, let's just be honest. I talk to this culture, and I say, all you all had fathers here, and you all respected him for it. Let's be honest. Most people are going to say, even in this church right now, they're going to say, no, I didn't have a father. No, I and certainly, I didn't respect him for doing what he did. Do you see how far we've come away from the biblical example? That in the biblical example, the whole point is you had fathers, and you know they disciplined you for your own good. And now I'm literally looking at grown people in my church going, I didn't have a father. I'm only emotional. I don't listen to discipline. And if you don't like me, I'm going to go tell everybody. You know, you don't help me do what I say. I'm going to tell everybody about you. Well, number one, you have never met a real father because all of that whining doesn't change anything in my life. I don't change because they whine. You all listening to me? Church is doing good right now. I'm not, I'm not picking on anybody in our church. I'm just telling you. A true man, a true leader, a true leader, no matter who they are, man or woman, but especially a true man of God, doesn't change because everybody gets a little bit, their feelings hurt. My children today are going home and cutting the grass, picking weeds and, and trimming. Why? Because yesterday they had a family, I mean a youth event. Does that mean we don't do it this weekend? No, they're doing it today. Well, what if it's the Lord's Day? No, they're going to get another day off this week. Today they're cutting the grass. 
I don't care if they whine out there. Are you listening to me? They're going to cut the grass. I rotate them. I teach them all how to cut the grass. Today, it's Bethany's turn to learn how to cut the grass. They're going to get out there. I, I, I can guarantee it. I should have the camera on. They're going to get out there at some point today, and some weed is going to be left out there, some trimming of the, the side of the, you know, the fence, or some part of the grass is going to be missed when they cut it because I have them three assignments, cut the grass, trim the yard, and pick the weeds. They, they, they rotate on those three. I can guarantee you in about 20 minutes when they are home, I'm going to ask them to redo something. And at that time, they're going to whine. Oh, Dad, it's so hot. Dad, can I stop and come back and do it? That's what they're going to say to me. Oh, you know what? Dad, we don't need to pick all these weeds. It's, they're, they're always coming back. They're going to say something, and I'm going to say something back to them. And you know what it's going to be? Pick these weeds, or you're not going to come home tonight. You're not eating in the house tonight. I'm teasing, you know. But you do this, or, or you don't have anything in this house. And some of you are going to look at me crazy, and then you're going to understand why your kids are obese and they don't respect anybody. Y'all listening to me? We have an obesity epidemic like never before because we never put our kids to work outside. They say kids who have worked chores are more healthier mentally than those who didn't. I said, man, my kids are going to be really strong mentally then. Y'all listening to me? I'm tired of obesity among our young people. I'm tired of obesity in our church. I'm tired of people disrespecting everybody. Not in our house. We talk with please and thank yous. We work till the job is done. We don't just say, hey, it doesn't feel right. It's too hot today. No, we get it done. This is the weekend we cut the grass. We do it this weekend. This is when we do it. See, fathers put a discipline in their family's house, and then listen, they say to them, this is what I'm doing. Do you respect it? Do you respect the leaders in your life? Do you respect the people that are laying down your life? Daryl, would you come, please? Do you respect us as pastors and leaders? Do you respect children, your parents? All of us here today, do we respect the laws of our land? The reason why that alderman tried to shoot me off that corner is because he didn't respect the laws of the land. He would rather try to violate my laws than respect the law. The, you know, the law that says I have the freedom of speech. I talk to people all the time as Christians. Oh, you know what, man, sin, it's so hard for me. Well, then you ain't receiving the discipline of the Lord. Because it doesn't matter how hard it is for them to cut grass today, I'm going to make sure they know how to do it. You're telling me God asked you to keep commands, but he hasn't taught you how to do it? What kind of Christianity are you in then? God has taught me how to keep commands. And he disciplines me when I don't. Now, do I thank the Lord that my life is more than discipline? Absolutely. There's festivals and feasts in the Lord. But notice this. There are disciplines in Christianity. And notice what it goes on to say. They, the fathers, they disciplined us for a time. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? Though they only disciplined us for what was a little bit and for what they thought best, God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in His holiness. If my children want to share, this is what I tell them all the time. <laughs> you might feel sorry for them, but I think they're going to be all right. But listen, you want to share in my phone plan? You better keep that room clean. You want to share and having a car at 16? You better do good in school. There is no doubt in my mind that some of my kids will test me on some of those things, and they won't get it. I won't tell on them right now, but there's some of my kids that don't have their phone right now, and they won't get their phone until certain things are done. Why? Because you want to share in my, think about this. You want to share in what I worked for? You want to share in what I disciplined? I had a, I bought a, um, by God's grace, you know, our church. It was the church that bought it, but I was the representation. We bought a printer. 
to print off shirts like this. We have a shirt company. Now we have to use somebody else's printer. But we were doing this so that one of our young men, Lawrence, could, could have a way instead of fundraising but to sweat equity himself in the kingdom. We didn't want to ask you guys for handouts. We just want to show you we'll do something great and he'll, he'll do it for you. So, he, you know, he started this business called Kingdom Printing. And part of the, the, the machine has to be cleaned a certain way. I don't know what was wrong with that machine from the beginning, but I know I told them that something was broken in it. And I kept going to their service. It cost $15,000. I kept going to their service text. Lawrence would go to the service text, and they just couldn't fix it. Well, lo and behold, they then tell us, well, you need a new printer head. You need to fix, uh, replace this whole thing. I said, great. Finally, we figured out what it is. Replace it, man. They said, oh, one thing. You're outside of the warranty. I said, the warranty... You've heard me from day one tell you this thing's not right. Just look at the records. Honor the warranty. You know what they told me? They said, if we didn't come to that conclusion during the time of the warranty, you don't get to use the warranty now, even if we were your service techs. You should see the review I left on that company, STS Inks. Look it up. You'll see me on there. I said, I would rather make ink from berries now and hand sew my own shirts than ever work with them again. But this is what they told me, right? So I got a $15,000 piece of equipment sitting in my house right now that we're trying to figure out what we're going to do with it because I, whatever I do, I don't want to work with that company. Pray for us. Pray for God's justice to be done. But I went to Lawrence, and this is what I said to him. I said, brother, did you keep every rule that they ever gave you to clean this thing? Did you follow every instruction they gave you? He said, man, I did it every single time the way they said it. I said, brother, did you see me clean this thing every single time? They told me to clean it this way. He said, yeah, I did. I said, brother, we've done all that we can. There are going to come times in life where you've done everything right and you're still going to lose. But then you've got to look up to God and say, what are you trying to teach me when I lose? See, you won't win every game. Yeah, there's going to be winners and there's going to be losers. And at the end of the day, you might have played your hardest game. You might have shot every shot you possibly could. You might have left blood, sweat, and tears on the battlefield. And you might have to walk out with a $15,000 boat anchor. Or you might have to walk out that field and say, you know what, I lost. But here's what you're not going to do. You're not going to quit. You're going to get back on that field. You're going to go back to that temptation. You're going to go back to that place you live. You're going to go back to that place that you have suffered. And you are going to take the pain again. And you are going to win this next time. Because if you don't win that time, you're going to win the next time. The old joke is a guy was trying to start a pop company. He called it one up, but nobody wanted it. He went bankrupt, started again, second up. How many times did he have to go till he got successful? Seven times. Even if a righteous man falls seven times, they will get back up. You will get back up, and you will go into that fight. It says they disciplined us for a little while, but God disciplines us that we can share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful later on. However, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. I'm not giving up on this t-shirt company. I'm not giving up on that young man expressing himself. They had a concert in the back here. That's part of what they do. They work with the arts. They work with rappers. They produce their gear and all of that. We're not giving up on it. Yeah, I've sinned since being a Christian, but I'm not giving up on Christianity. Yes, I've had painful experiences. Yes, I felt like the devil's whooping me on one side and God's giving me push-ups on the other side. But I don't quit in Jesus' name. 
It's not time to feel sorry for yourself when you're feeling the pain. Feeling sorry for yourself will not change anything. Sometimes people come to me, and I, I feel for them. They got cancer, and they say, man, I got cancer, and my mom died of cancer, and then this person over here that I love got cancer, and then I lost my job, and I, and I feel for them. But listen, quitting will not change anything. It may be painful right now, but you better fight through it because it's more painful than hell. You can curse God in the hospital, but you staying in that hospital. You can curse God collecting that bankruptcy check or that food stamp. You can curse, but you're still in that same line. Or you can stand up in that time and say, you know what? I may be down, but I'm not out. It may hurt, but I'm not forsaken. I may be struck down, but I'm not destroyed. I may be pressed, but I'm not, I'm not to the point where I'm oozing out the blood yet. I'm still here in Jesus' name. That's why Christians make it. Because they can take it as the old saying goes. Therefore, look at what it says in the last verse here. Strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled but rather healed. Every time I ask my children to do something and I discipline them, I'm not doing it because I hate them. I'm doing it because I love them. I see the look on her face when I tell her she got to go sit with mom now because their friend's goofing around every two seconds, got to go use the bathroom, get something to drink in church. I know the way she looks at me, but here's the one thing that she can say, she can't say rather, in her counseling. When she goes to counseling, she can say, I had a daddy that was a pastor. He would call me out. He would sit me down. I had to cut the grass on Sunday. She can say all that to her counselor, but what she can't say is that I didn't have a daddy that wasn't there 24-7, always with my mom, always loving on me, always providing for me getting my back and helping me become a strong woman of God. That's one thing she can't say. She can't say I wasn't there and I didn't care. Because in my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And brothers and sisters, you got to make a decision. How, how are you going to look at it? Because if you want to ask me, pastor, 30 years of ministry, why do people quit on God? Because they don't understand him as a disciplinarian. They only knew God as their Savior. They only knew God as that one riding in on that horse, just being their perfect romantical partner. Most of y'all have to get, point, get, get past the point where God can only tell you sweet little things that you like to hear. You got to get to know the God that I know that disciplines me. You got to know the God that speaks real to you. I remember when I quit Bible college because I thought I was smarter than the, the, the professors there. I thought I was going to go out and do it on my own, and I've seen people do it. They say some were sent, and others just took the microphone and went. And I, I almost was one of those guys just taking a microphone. But you see, you're talking to a man under a man. I've been under the same pastor since that day in Bible college. But that day in Bible college, he made me mad, and I wanted to quit. His name was Brother Anthony Freeman. And I told you guys this story before. It's in one of the books. And I thought I didn't need him. I didn't need another man to disciple me. I could go out and do it on my own. But God said this to me. You leave this man, I leave you. You leave these mentors, I leave you. And I talk to fatherless Christians all the time. Like the Bible says, they have many mentors. They listen to T.D. Jakes. They listen to Stephen Furtick. They were even on Hillsong. But they don't have many fathers. Why? Because whenever they got into church where a man, or, you know, a leader was acting like a father to him, eventually they got offended and said, man, I don't need that. Who do you think you are? I can just go down the road and do something else. Yeah, you can, but you don't have a father. My daughter could try to come to you and sw sing sweet nothings in your ear. Let me come stay with you. Let me come be with you. But you know what? She won't have a father. 
Brothers and sisters, you need to make a decision. In the church, you've got fathers and leaders in your life. I don't try to be everybody's father. Find a disciple or women with women as well. Find spiritual mothers. Then in your own life, in your own way of doing things, get ready for the fight that's in front of you. And don't expect Jesus to always be that soft shoulder to cry on because you're messing up. Sometimes Jesus is going to say, get your butt back out there and fight. Well, I'm in pain. I don't feel like dealing with it. I got cancer. My family left me. This one left me. I lost my job. And God's going to say, get back up and pray. Get back up and preach. Join an outreach. I had somebody write me the other day saying, can you help my husband do some discipleship with him? I said, he, he don't come to my church. He can find a church to do that. But you want me to help him come preach the gospel with me in Elgin because he's in that area. And then I told her about the abortion clinic. You see, too many Christians want to sit down at the buffet and keep getting fed instead of going out there and being a blessing to others. Part of how you teach somebody to get over themselves is to go do something for somebody else. Go help somebody. Go preach to them. Why do I stand in front of the abortion clinic? Why do I go to the west side? Because it reminds my privileged white behind what it's like out there in the streets. Y'all hear what I'm saying? I know that I've been privileged. I know that Jesus has done more for me than I could ever imagine. It's why I'm saved. I'm sanctified. I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. I want to see what it's like out in somebody else's life today. And if they don't want to receive it from me, you can wait for the bishop so-and-so to come. But chances are he ain't coming. You the pastor? That's how they talk to me. Say, you the pastor? Yeah, baby, I'm the pastor. No, you don't look like a pastor. I'm sorry I don't look like bishop so-and-so. He's too busy with the Cadillac and three girlfriends. But I'm the one you got today. I may not be the one you want, but I'm the one you need. Do you want me to pray for you in Jesus' name? Because I ain't here to build you a choir. I'm not here to do more after-school programs. That's great. We'll get that here. And I'm not here to do the D.A.R.E. program with you. I'm here to correct, rebuke you, and get you right in Jesus' name. Get holy or get left. Because he ain't going to feel sorry for your crackhead self if you don't get right with God. He ain't going to feel sorry for your OnlyFans self. And all my business, that's why I got to make time to go to the hood and I make time to go downtown Chicago. I make sure to tell them all, listen, God don't care. They're always on their phone, too. I said, God don't care how much money you make. You can check your bank account. You better check your heart. I said, you don't need a CEO. You need a G-O-D. And then other times I tell them, Google this. What's the meaning of life? Because it certainly ain't just making more money. Listen, brothers and sisters, we live in a culture that is tore up from the floor up, needs a checkup from the neck up. We live in a culture that doesn't want a God to tell us what to do and that we're wrong when we don't do it right. We want a God that looks at Cain and Abel and feels sorry for him. Oh, Cain, you know what? You didn't give me your best, but I'll just take it. No, he said, Cain, you are a sinner. Do what Abel did. Give me your best, you low-down cheat. Oh, God, talk to him like that. He must have said something to him. He said, you're a robber if you steal from God. He must have said something to him that was a rebuke because then he got mad, and then God tried to tell him, listen, if you don't listen to me, sin is going to use you and abuse you. It is crouching at your door. And then Cain killed his brother Abel. Did God come up to him and go, oh, you know what? I was too hard on you. I'm the one that drove you to do it. No, he cursed him. He said, you are cursed, Cain. Brothers and sisters, there are curses and there are blessings in that scripture. And God is going to hold them back, uh, give them out rather, to how we do it and hold back the other one if we don't do it. If I'm not living by the blessings of God, he's going to bring down them curses. And he's going to hold back the, if I don't obey the commands rather, he's going to hold back the blessings and put those curses on me. If I, if I live for God, he's going to put out the blessings on me and he's going to hold back the curses.
I don't know about you, but I want to be blessed today. I don't want to get angry at God. You know the reason why? I know I'm going long today, folks. But you know the reason why I backslid? Because I was so angry at God, treating me unfair. That's why I think it means so much to me to preach this to you. It meant something to me then, and it means something to me now. I don't expect, listen, everybody get this. I may never see a big church. I may never see 100,000. I may never be greater than what I am right now. This might be the best day of my life as a pastor. This may be as good as it ever gets for me. And I had to make a decision in my mind. I don't care. I'm still serving Jesus. Do you understand? If God says he's going to discipline my cocky self in this storefront until he knows I'm ready, I'll be in this storefront for 50 years. I'm not walking away going, well, God, you promised me a mega church, and I didn't get one, and we never filled it up. I talked to these pastors with their tears and their beers. Oh, the people did me like this. The people, You selfish thing, you. You deserved hell. And God lets you shepherd his people. I don't care if they all bit you. You should be happy you're a shepherd, not in the pits of hell with the devil. I learned real quick, real quick, that God doesn't owe me one thing. I owe him everything. And I'm telling you, from pastors to people that used to come to this church, the number one reason I see them backslide is because they don't know a God that talks to them like that. I could leave out this church right now and say, I'm done with Metro Praise. I tried pastoring. I'm done with my wife. She's not the wife that I need. I want somebody younger and new. I could do all of that. And I promise you, I promise you as true as the word of God is right, I will look at God on judgment day and he will say, depart from me, you wicked, evil doer of iniquity. I do not know you. God will not feel sorry for us, ourselves, uh, for, for us as we feel sorry for ourselves. I watched one of my best friends cheat on his wife with the secretary. I don't care what reason that man had, all the excuses he put up in his head. If that man does not repent, he is on his way to hell. I don't care how much he preached. Are you all listening to me? This is the fear of God. He disciplines those he loves, and he gives us that little bit of pain. That little bit of tap on the tushy, if you want to call it that. That little bit of pain so that we realize that hell is hot and heaven's not. When I look at this church and I see empty chairs, I feel a little bit of pain. I'm like, man, I wish there was more people here. But it reminds me, Joe, you don't preach for people. You don't preach for these empty chairs. You preach for me. Now get out there and you preach as if I was in that audience and you do the best you have ever done. Are you listening to me? I don't get to come out here and feel sorry for myself. Well, I've been pastoring for 30 years. Look at this. I should have what this guy had. No, no, no. Jesus tells me, you get out of that office. You stand up here and you preach. Well, Lord, I'm tempted. I haven't looked at pornography since 96, and I've had the same wife for 18 years. Oh, God, that's boring. I want to look at somebody else's naked body right now. God says to me so clearly, you know, I've said it here before. God tells me, Joe, you look at porn, you lose all of this. Some of y'all looking at porn, making your wife stick around. I know my wife won't. Are you listening to me? Some of you wives need to put them on the couch a few times after those porn things, and then they're going to decide whether or not they want to play with themselves or have you a real woman. See, it gets quiet when I start preaching to you, doesn't it? See, too many women, oh, my husband struggles with porn. He struggles with porn. Every time he struggles with porn, put his butt on the couch. You don't get this until you get rid of that. Let's see him get rid of porn tomorrow. Are you all listening to me? How many know that dude's getting rid of porn right now? 
Same thing. I have these boyfriend and girlfriends come to the church. By the way, this is a taste of what's going to be happening in the first service when I talk about the church. There are so many things in my heart that y'all got to get about the church. This culture got to get about it. We're almost going to make it mandatory for you to listen to the sermon series we're about ready to preach, okay? Because people don't understand the church. One of the things that people come to me all the time, well, pastor, we love each other. We're just in an engaged relationship. You know, we, we, we haven't got the money for this, this, and that. I always say to the woman, just like this, because I know what will work. Stop having sex with him and you'll be married this time tomorrow. That's it. Well, we don't have the money. That dude will find the money. That dude will sell his PS4 and get the money. Are you all listening to me? Oh, well, we don't have the time. That guy will make time. That guy will. <laughs> we can laugh in church, man. That guy will make time. They tell me, oh, they, this, oh, you don't know my man. He'll leave me. Well, then let him leave. If you telling your man I want to get married makes him want to leave, that's something you should have did a long time before that, sister. I'm telling you, I have boyfriend and girlfriends leave the church because I preach like this. Oh, man, he offended me. I would rather offend you and you least know the truth than you go to hell without me telling you anything. I believe in the Lord's discipline. Maybe just one last thing, maybe a, a softer story about my mother. See, she was crazy. She was wild, right? And she never was told that, you know, Jesus loved her and all that, uh, you know, that her, her father loved her. And certainly not Jesus loved her. They, they weren't a Christian family in that way. I think they went to church every now and then. But when I was rebellious, my mother kept praying for me. And this is what she prayed. She prayed a scripture out of the book of Jeremiah that is now a prophecy for my personal life. She had a word that God will break the rock in pieces. And he will burn up everything like fire does chaff, okay? She was praying that over me while I was doing drugs, as wild as I was. She kept praying, God, I know you can break up his heart, and I know you can set on fire everything that's garbage on the inside. You'll burn it all up. Do you know it was my mother who led me to the Lord at her kitchen table when I was 18 years old, high on drugs? Do you know why she broke through to heaven? It's because she didn't pray for me just to have a little sweet encounter. That might be good for somebody at some time. She wanted God to take a sledgehammer to every part of my heart and break it up to the point where I didn't have nothing to hold on to, not even a pebble. She wanted God to burn up everything, every sex party, every, every drug heist that we were part of, or, or criminal heist and drug deals. She wanted everything to burn into ash until I was on my knees crying out to Jesus like the prodigal son. Oh, if you want me to be a slave, I'll be a slave because daddy, you treat slaves better in this house than you treat, that I've been treated in the world. That's the prodigal son. You ever know what that story says? That's what it says. We're not talking slave kutakinte. The Bible didn't allow that. If they injured them, they had to set them free. That's not the kind of thing that they had. But they had indentured servants. And if they act out, they got disciplined too. And by the way, if you acted up against the law, you got disciplined. But that prodigal son, what did he say? He said, man, daddy, I would rather be a servant here, work out in the field, sleep in the barn, than to be in that world anymore because they don't love me. They left me with the pigs, and I couldn't even eat what they had anymore. I came to my mother just like that prodigal son. I said, I don't care what it takes. I don't have anything right now. I want to be a Christian. 
And it doesn't mean I didn't have literally anything. It just means in my mentality, I understood that nothing in this world could make me happy. I mean, I'm telling you that day, you could have put a million dollars in my hand. I didn't make that much off drugs, but we would make thousands, right? But you could have put it in my hand and it wouldn't have changed me one bit. I didn't have all the music videos that you can think of, but I had a few of those parties. You could have put that all in my life and it wouldn't change me one bit. But when I was sitting at that kitchen table and I heard my mother say, you need Jesus, I gave up everything to the Father's love and to the Father's discipline. And brothers and sisters, I want you to know God like that. So some of you today, let's just pray that you get out this idea that it ain't going to be hard sometimes. It is. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we ask you, Lord, to take away any of our weakness or our misconceptions. Altar workers, would you start to come? Lord, that would have us to think that Christianity won't be painful at times. Lord, take away any false promises that some preacher might have told us that if we came to the front, shook, a, uh, shook their hand, that we would now have the American dream. Lord, take that away from us and help us understand that we will struggle against sin. We will fight against it, and we may not always win. We may be disciplined by you. We may be chastised. We may be scourged. It may be painful, but that you love us. Father, help us to get the right mentality for whatever's ahead of us right now in the name of Jesus. A few moments before we go, with every head bowed and eyes closed, if you don't yet know Jesus, ask him to be the Lord and Savior of your life. Get to know him as the Heavenly Father that will do everything we talked about today, but because he loves you. In the name of Jesus, I pray for each one of us here who has ever fought a battle and lost to get back up in the name of Jesus to start fighting again. In the next few moments, we'll stand up and close out. I promise not to keep you any longer, but if you want to stay, we're going to pray and hang out with Jesus. We call it the after party.